Good morning. My, what up? It is good to be with you. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at the well, and this is a fun season, right? I mean, pumpkin spice lattes are back. Anybody get one yet? So you just all judge the people that cheered around you right there. College football is back, and there's, all right, and there's 115 days until Christmas. Somebody, can I get a witness? Okay. Well, once again, my name is Adam, and I just want to say welcome to the well. If you are new here today, we are so glad that you're here and a part of the family. So we're here, and and we're going to look at uh, the power of the name of Jesus this morning. Does that sound good? You guys are, ooh, I don't know. How about I say that again? The power of the name of Jesus. Does that change things? Changes everything, actually. Tori, the last few weeks, has been preaching on prayer and on the love of God's word, really. And so those are both things that connect us to Jesus. Today, as we look at the power of his name, we're going to look at what it looks like to live that out, to walk that out, and to walk in that power that we walk in the power of that connection with Jesus. And so we're going to dive in pretty quick here. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Acts 3 with me. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and throw your hand up in the air. Our ushers will bring a Bible to you. Just keep your hand up. They're bringing one. Take that Bible. You're not stealing that Bible. Go home and read that Bible. We want that to be a gift to you this morning. So we're going to start in Acts, and, and I want to dive in pretty quick, and, and I'm actually going to read a little bit more than I typically would want to because there's just so much that God is doing in this season. There is so much that's happening in the early church. And so if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it is Luke's writing, Luke's account about what God was doing after Jesus rose from the dead. And so in Acts 1 and 2, we have this massive things happening. This is a very historical moment in the church. It's a historical moment for you and me. Because if these things, if these events did not happen, you and I would not be sitting in an elementary school worshiping Jesus this morning. But because of what happens in this book and because of what we know is happening in history right here, it changes the world. In Acts 1, Jesus ascends into heaven and he promises the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Spirit of the living God. It changes everything. And then in Acts 2, we see the Spirit of the living God. Come on, people. Things are happening, okay? Big things are popping in Jerusalem, okay? And then we see in Acts 3, where we're going to look today, the first miracle that happens after the Holy Spirit has come. Guys, we are in a season of things happening here at the well, okay? We had to get chairs last week out of the little kids' rooms, okay? There's a lot of movement in this body. We have community groups. I'm looking at Chris and Amanda right here. They had 49 people in a community group last week. God is doing something that we can't take credit for. And we want to intentionally stay that way. We want God to be the one getting credit for anything and everything that happens associated with the well's name. And so as I look at the early church here, they're the same way. And we want to emulate that. We want to be like them. We want to work out of the power of Jesus' name and not our own power. And so as we look at Acts, it's really if there's a word for it, I'd just say it's like velocity. Things are moving fast. And at the well, it feels like things are moving fast. But we don't want to get ahead of that. We don't want to go where God is not going. We want to go where he's going, where the Spirit is leading. And so there's this supernatural invasion, really. And if you think about that, 
They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't choose what was going to happen, but God did it. God was putting his super into their natural, and things began to happen. So when we look at the power of Jesus' name, and we look at what it happens when we use the power of Jesus' name to change things around us, it is a supernatural event, okay? And I'm not talking about, like, praying in Jesus' name, and, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, maybe some of your parents were like, go clean your room in Jesus' name. <laughs> maybe some of your parents were saying, hey, I just hope that God will give us a new house in Jesus' name, right? That's a good prayer. But we often use this and kind of manipulate it for, hey, if I just pray in Jesus' name, things are going to happen. That's not the case, guys. There were people in the New Testament that would pray in Jesus' name for things to happen, and nothing happened because they didn't have a connection with Jesus. And there's a huge myth that if we just pray, well, I'm just going to shout, Jesus, hey, It's not about the word. It's about the connection with the name. It's about the connection with the person of Jesus Christ. And do we have that connection? And so I want to look at a moment where we see that connection and that name come together at a point in history where the Spirit of God is doing something that's just going to, honestly, it freaks out everybody in the audience, okay? Everybody that is there. And it should mess with us a little bit this morning as well. Acts 3 Uh, Verse 1, I'm going to begin there. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. It's really three in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms those entering the temple. Now I just want to give you a little bit of the scene here. Peter and John, they're apostles. They've been entrusted by Jesus to lead Jesus' church, to lead God's church that we are a part of. And they're walking to a prayer meeting, okay? And I'm just going to throw this in there for some of y'all. Maybe you might be be single in here today. I met my wife at a prayer meeting, okay? Big things happen at prayer meetings, okay? Can I get a witness? Okay. Somebody's pointing to Laura right there. Thank you. It was a miracle. Clearly, I did not deserve that grace, okay? And big things are happening. Amen. Thank you, Mike. And we see that God continues to do things that they don't deserve either, right? We get to see that God is moving in an incredible way. And so they're walking just to pray. And as they're on their way to pray in the temple, we see that they allow themselves to be interrupted. A man who is begging, and it says in in a moment, we'll see, he's been begging for 40 years. He's been at the temple gate, really just begging and asking for money. He's at a place where all these believers, all these people who are Jewish leaders, they're walking through and they're trying to go and pray and they just pass him every single day. Every single day they're walking into worship and just passing this beggar. And according to Jewish law, you might ask, why is he outside of the temple? Because really at a church today, wouldn't we want those that are broken Wouldn't we want those that are lame to be in here with us? Because we have access to the Father through Jesus, all right? We want people to be in with us. See, he was deemed unclean by the law. And actually, if if you were born lame, if you were born with a disability, it was considered that you actually had sin in your family. How messed up is that? And see, that's what most people believed until Jesus came on the scene. 
And so what we have here is a man who was born crippled. He was born lame. And then Peter and John, they have eyes to see him. They have ears to hear him because they've been with Jesus. Again, they were interrupted. And, and this is a big practical application for you and me today, guys. Do you have reactive capacity in your life? Let me explain that. Can you react to a need that God puts in front of you? Or is your life and your schedule so busy that you do not have even the chance of being a part of what God's doing in the world? That you don't have an opportunity to be a part of what God's doing because you think you're supposed to do something for God that he never asked you to do. You're a part of working for God and not being with God. And you're missing out on what he actually wants you to do. I love that they went there trying to reach one man and we see that God does something totally different. Verse three, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. Alms are just money. He's asking for money here. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Picture this scene. The man's been begging. We know he's actually been there since birth. He's been begging for 40 years. He's not looking at anybody. He's just asking. His identity has become asking and begging and being in need and not having anybody even make eye contact with him. Guys, we pass these people every single day. In fact, most of them are not on a sidewalk. Most of them are in your office. They're in your home. They're people that you've known for years. They might be in your family. They're begging, and their identity has become that they are lame. And it's time for you and me to get down and to look at them and say, hey, look at me. I see you. When's the last time you helped somebody be seen? Where you looked into their eyes and you showed them the value that God created them with. That's the first thing about this miracle that I see. Is that Peter changes this man's identity by just giving him the value to be seen. You and I can help people be seen. We can open up their value and their identity to then point them to Christ by simply saying, look at me. I see you. And then do we see ourselves as this beggar who is in need? Because that's the reality. You and I are also the beggar. We're ones just saying, hey, God, would you help me? Hey, friends, would you help me? And all of us have been there in a season for sure. We can't save ourselves. We're really no different than the beggar. I want to continue in verse 6. It says, but Jesus said, I have no silver. Sorry, but Peter said, I have no silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, 
walking and leaping and praising God. Guys, that's a miracle. Is that good news? He's healed instantly. He didn't say, well, that's nice, guys, but I've been waiting 40 years for this. Why didn't you get here a little earlier? Anybody do that when God does something for you? Hey, you know, I just, I just wish you could have come like 10 years ago, a year ago, before I got in that relationship, before I did this thing. Just wish you came a little bit earlier. He doesn't ask for an explanation. He said, can I get a doctor's report before I leap right now? That didn't happen. He jumped up and he entered the temple with them. Because when we get healed, when we get clean, we're brought in to worship. He didn't ask for permission to worship. God gave him permission. God's giving you and me permission to worship him. And he's been asking for silver and gold. And I love that Peter says, I ain't got no silver or gold, right? Definitely not a prosperity preacher. Love that. Okay. <laughs> he gives what he has. He has a connection with almighty God. He has a connection with Jesus, his friend. That's what he's giving. And you notice he doesn't reach down and touch his legs to heal him and pray just over his legs. He's wholly healed. He just reaches to give him a hand to lift him up. You see, he's been begging for silver and gold his whole life. And I think it's so interesting that Luke adds that he's sitting under the beautiful gate because the beautiful gate was actually inlaid with gold and silver all over it. So the great irony here is that the temple was taking all their gold and silver and not giving it to the poor and actually decorating above where the poor begged. And as a church, that's the last thing we ever want to do. Because what Peter and John were able to do was see the man and see the need and see that it was beyond just silver and gold. So he had been expecting to receive silver and gold while he was sitting under it because that's what he could see. And a lot of us are expecting God to do things that only we can see. We don't expect him to do anything that we can't see. That stretches us. That actually makes us have to have faith, doesn't it? That he would move and act in ways that we can't even imagine. For some of us, you've actually, you've stopped expecting God to do anything. You feel like, God, why do I even need to ask you? I, I just don't think you're even going to do anything. I see you working in other people's lives. I see you healing that marriage. I see you letting those people have kids. I see you moving in incredible ways, but, but not me. I just want to tell you, this is for somebody in here right now. Don't give up. Not today. He's not done with you. He loves you. It might be 40 years, and he's not done. Please don't give up. He's still moving and he is still working. Peter gave out of what he had to a man who had nothing and never expected in 40 years to see what he had coming to him. I mean, I just think of the actual healing. If, if Jesus did not enter in, if this man was not healed instantly, what this would have been like 40 years of atrophy, 
Can you imagine? Anybody broken an arm or had a surgery in here? You get that cast pulled off, and you get like that skinny little arm all of a sudden, and like all nasty looking. It's like, oh, Lord. And think of 40 years of no muscles, no movement, to instantly jumping and leaping for joy. As an 18-year-old, I got to actually witness God do this in a man's life, and it messed me up forever. I was in a plaza in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, if you're familiar with that area. It's a huge city, and uh, preaching in, in a square, and there was a, a man who had been begging, and he was not able to walk, and we prayed over him, and he got up, and he leapt for joy. I've seen this. That was only nine years ago. I have seen this, and I can't forget that moment where he was in a green tattered shirt and these jeans that were so big on him. His legs were so frail and skinny, and he jumped up, guys. I could not explain it. I couldn't deny what I'd seen and what I heard, but guys, God did something that I had no idea. My only context for that was horror movies. And then God heals a man right in front of me. And then at 19, as, as some of you know or might remember my story, I had bone cancer. And I was sitting in a wheelchair for about 13 months. And I'm praying for my own legs to be healed. And I don't see God heal. And I said, hey, I saw you do this instantly. Why not me, God? Why not me? And in that, he taught me a very, very valuable lesson I want to share with you is that God doesn't have to have time to have a miracle. He has to have a purpose. God doesn't have to have time to do a miracle. He has to have a purpose. Because what happened in that guy's life and what happened in my life both led to people coming to know Jesus. When he was healed, hundreds of people came forward and received Jesus. When I was healed, it took a long time, and I've been able to share that story over and over again, and people have come to know Jesus. Guys, when is the last time you got up and leapt for joy? I mean, God, you are so good. I'm going to jump, right? Anybody? Come on, guys. You're free in this place. That you actually physically got up and you said, yes, Jesus. And you jumped. We, we have friends in Mozambique. We call them uh, the, the dancing church, okay? They dance for three hours before the service starts. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. These guys, if you've you know, watched anything overseas, you see them dancing, like, they're going to go, okay? They've got the shuffle, and Laura can show you that later. <laughs> it is incredible to see their joy. And they've got nothing. Their circumstances aren't dictating their praise. Their praise is dictated through circumstances. And what we see God do is that time and time again, there are moments where we have a story and a testimony to share, and we have an opportunity to share it. And guys, sometimes we might be ashamed of our story. This man had been crippled for 40 years, and he was not ashamed of his story. Do not despise the story God's given you. Is it possible that he's given you the story you have for his glory and not your name? Yeah. I think so. In verse 9, 
Then all the people who saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. He was recognized. He had a testimony. If he had been healed at any other place or any other time of history, his story would have been so different. But because he was healed in the very place where he had gone through the most pain and ridicule, God used that to change thousands of lives. You are not a mistake. This guy thought he was a mistake. He thought he was an outcast to the culture. And he had other people tell him that. But God used his story in a huge, miraculous way. So there is power in the name of Jesus to answer prayer. And there is power in the name of Jesus for salvation because what we see next is that Peter's going to actually explain to all this crowd that's coming around that there is salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. And, and I love this because uh, uh, Dr. Tony Evans, he has a great take on, on these people, these characters that are here in this moment where if you looked at Peter and you looked at the beggar, you thought these were the last people that God would use to get the gospel to all these thousands of people, okay? Some of you in here, you might be one of these folks. You might be a Peter and a John. And you're in this community, and it might be time for you to reach your hand out and lift somebody up. You're in here this morning, and you're not lame. And it's time to say, hey, I'm going to help somebody up that I know God is healing right now. You have an opportunity to do that. When we look at Peter and the beggar and even Jesus here, we look at how their past doesn't affect them sharing the gospel at all. It actually helps. See, Peter was the man who denied Jesus three times. The fisherman who swung a sword trying to cut off somebody's head and he just got their ear, okay? That's Peter. And yet, despite his past, God used him to share the gospel. You look at the beggar, 40 years he's been trying to understand his story. He's been asking why, and he's not too old, okay? If you're over 40 in here, you're not too old to be used by God. Jesus, I love Dr. Evans' take on this. He says, why does Peter emphasize that it's Jesus of Nazareth? It's one of the only places in Scripture he does that. He does it over and over. He says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Galilee, but then he's referred to as being from Nazareth. You know what that's actually like saying? That's like, be healed in the name of Jesus of the hood. That's what Nazareth was to them. We see earlier in the New Testament, they even said, nothing good can come from Nazareth. And then here we have Jesus, the son of the living God, coming from Nazareth. And so it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter where you are from. God can use you to bring salvation. Peter begins his message. And and in verse 15, I want to take your attention there, is one of the most gripping and difficult sentences really in all of Scripture. He's cutting right into him, and he says this. As the crowd gathered around, he, he began to explain to them what had just happened. And he's telling that this man's been healed in Jesus' name. And in verse 15, he says, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, 
To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Guys, you killed the author of life. When I read that again yesterday, I just started weeping. I had to reread it and say, I killed the author of life. I don't see my sin like this. Do you see your sin like this? The one who created everything died for me. And he died for you. I killed the author of life. And Peter doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave them there. But the weight of that should mess with us. It should mess with us in a huge way. That we confess our sin and and we come to Jesus saying, I'm a beggar in need of you. Heal me, Jesus. Verse 19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Most translations say wiped out. It's like Jesus is just going to totally take your sins out. Like they never even happen. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Guys, we get to repent. Repentance is a gift from God. It's not a burden from God. We get to turn to him. We say, heal me, Jesus. In Jesus' name, would you set me free from addiction? In Jesus' name, would you free me from shame and guilt? Guys, we we need to confess before God and turn from our sin and, and come and realize that our sin put Jesus on the cross. We killed the author of life. And the author of life is telling you to repent, to come back to him. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Guys, you and I have been saved not by what we do, just like this beggar. He was not saved by anything he did. He was not healed by anything he did, but simply by the grace of God. That is you and me. As Peter kept preaching to the crowd, they were all drawing closer and closer. And and then the religious leaders kind of rolled up on them and they were like, hey, this is too much. We can't have this. And so let's look at Acts 4, 1 through 4. We see what happens and let's look at the opposition that's happening here. In fact, the the beggar, he's actually clinging to Peter and John. And then these religious leaders come up to them and they start really antagonizing them. So verse 1 says this, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Okay, this is a minor detail. The preacher gets arrested, and 5,000 men come to faith. 
Let's try that sometime, okay, Tori? <laughs> the preacher gets arrested and 5,000 people say, I want that. In fact, it wasn't just 5,000, it's 5,000 men. That could be 10, 15, even 20,000 people right there just came to faith. Only a few hundred people could even fit in the temple. So you know what this tells me is this thing is spreading like wildfire. Because God is moving in a way that nobody could take credit for. There's no person that could do this. Peter and John showed up at a prayer meeting and just were able to be reactive, had a reactive capacity. They walk by, they hear somebody, they see somebody, they pray for one man, and God turns that into 5,000. I like God's math. <laughs> one equals 5,000. So much of the time we're trying to do something so big for God that we miss the person right in front of us. And he's ready to turn that one person into 5,000. Guys, we need to have eyes to see and ears to hear the needs that God has around us so we can obey his voice and react to the needs that he puts right in front of us. That we would move in the power of Jesus' name and not our own power. And see, that's what the, the religious leaders are doing. They're, they're trying to do things in their own power. They actually get so scared, they tell Peter and John, hey, we're going to keep you in jail. And then they put them on trial the next day, and they say, hey, just don't talk about this. <laughs> right? <laughs> they don't have to say anything. It's spreading to 5,000, 10,000 people. But I love their response in this. And, and it's funny because I feel like Luke is kind of giving us like, the 1996 version of the Chicago Bulls or the 2018 Warriors, okay? He's trying to show you what opposition they're up against. And in verse five, he's talking about, hey, they had Caiaphas. They're bringing all the big dogs to try to make them be quiet, okay? And what happens is Peter and John have this incredible courage to speak the gospel. They get to speak out in the power of Jesus' name. And so they question them in this court setting they are questioning, the religious elite are trying to make Peter and John mess up and say something that they shouldn't. And so in verse 7, you see that they ask him, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, I love that they bring this up because there is only power in a name of somebody who's alive. A dead man's name has no power. And they're saying, whose name did you do this in? And when they're asking that, they're really trying to ask about the healing. But Peter gives them the true answer, and it's the resurrection. Because when there's a healing, there has to be the resurrection involved because that's pointing to the gospel. The miracle points to the message, right? And so what we see God doing is that he doesn't just allow them to speak up. He allows them to stand for them, for him in Jesus' name. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, Peter and John, they've been with Jesus. They know what to say here. And so in verse 12, we get one of the strongest and most joyful verses, really. I can just see Peter yelling this at them because this is how he closes his, his rebuttal to them. He says, and then there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Mic drop. Boom. That's it. It's Jesus and only Jesus. Jesus is the only way. They didn't know what to say. They're speechless. 
These religious leaders are put in a place of fear. They're put in a place of going against their tradition. They can't deny what just happened. They saw the man be healed. Actually, the same beggar these religious leaders have been walking by for years. And so I think there's really two barriers that they're experiencing to knowing that this is Jesus that maybe you and I experience sometimes. So the first one is that I think they're experiencing the fear of man. They fear man's approval more than God's approval. They are fearing that their institution and their power is about to be gone, which it is. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Do you ever get caught up in trying to please people more than please God? Am I the only one in here? Where I want to get man's approval more than God's approval? What happens with that is it really just lays a foundation for foolishness. Pastor Matt Chandler, he he gives this illustration about fearing man. (laughs) He says, fearing man over fearing God is seeing a little kitten and screaming and then running away from a kitten only then to go slap a lion in the face. That's what we do with God when we fear man more than God. We scream at a little kitten when we've got a lion right next to us. They wanted to shut this down. They wanted to keep their position and they feared what would happen from this crowd. That's a danger for us as believers, guys. To fear man more than God. The second is that they, they really feared that they weren't earning their way to God. See, they had worked harder than anybody. And they thought, hey, if, if I can just be good enough, I can earn my way to God. And, and really, that's kind of like legalism. So if I do this, then God owes me this. And I think back to the book of Job here. And where Job, we think it's a book all about suffering, but... I'm going to take your attention, and it's, don't, don't turn there. We're going to go here real quick. But in Job 19.6, Job cries out to his friends that are accusing him. And he says, hear this. Know that God has wronged me. Some of us have fallen into that. We think we've done enough for God, and we have missed out on what God is doing for us. These religious leaders are thinking, hey, I've worked this hard. I've done all this. I should be the one doing miracles like Peter. God, why not me? God's wronged me. If that's you, I just encourage you, confess that, deal with that, and be done with that. That we can't earn our way into salvation. We can't just try to manipulate what people think and make people think we're saved, what value is there in that? But that we would actually turn to Jesus alone. Number three, and and really I want to close with this, is that there is power in the name of Jesus for victory. There is power in the name of Jesus for victory. That at the cross, we saw Jesus win. And through the resurrection, we have new life. That you and I... Hey, the battle is over. The victory is won. 
you and I get to live victorious, even in Austin, Texas. You and I get to walk around knowing where we're headed, where we're going to be in 10,000 years. We've got a hope that this world is dying for. Acts 4.13 is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And I pray that it is true for us as a church. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Guys, God has given us the victory in Jesus' name. But it's time for us to be a part of it. I love this, this quote here. Dr. Phil Humphrey says, You do for Jesus out of being with Jesus. You do for Jesus out of being with Jesus. And if your goals are to do things and work for God and to be somebody for God, I want to just challenge you. Go be with Jesus. Go just walk to the prayer meeting and see who God shows you on the way. My friend Kenny and I were in Morocco, and he's the definition for me of uneducated common man, okay? And some of you are like, yeah, that's the person sitting next to me, okay? Uh, Kenny, I love him. He's from Maine, and he kind of talked like this, and in Jesus' name, okay, that's kind of how he talks. And he was a great-grandfather at 58. And yeah, think about that. And <laughs> we were in Morocco together. We're actually walking about around King Muhammad VI's palace. And he starts yelling in Jesus' name. And I'm about to run under and just hide against the wall, okay? Because there's guards staring right at us. And a guard runs up to Kenny. I'll never forget this. And Kenny looks at him and he says, Be gone in Jesus' name. The guard falls on the ground. I have never seen it. It probably just freaked him out that somebody would do that. <laughs> but guys, uneducated, common man. This guy got to preach the gospel. He's actually invited in to talk to other guards. They might have been interrogating him, but he got to share the gospel. And the beauty of that is that this guy's joy in who Jesus is got all the way up to the palace. A guy that 20 years earlier was never sure if he'd get out of federal penitentiary is now sharing with a king the goodness of God. And he's boldly declaring in Jesus' name because that's all he has. That is all you and I have. We are the beggar needing to have a hand to pull us up. And Jesus has done that for you and for me. They could not deny what they've seen, heard, and experienced. And I really believe you have a story where you can't deny what you've seen, heard, and experienced. Where you can walk and move in the power of Jesus' name and see God move. That it wouldn't be your expectations of silver and gold, but that it would be God doing things that you and I cannot take credit for, that we would see people come to know Jesus in this city in incredible, radical ways. And so as we go into a, a time of communion that we do each week, I just want to encourage you and to, to look at Jesus. That as Peter and John looked down at the beggar and said, hey, look at me. Would you look at Jesus this morning?
and remember what he's done for you. We have six tables around the room, and as we go into worship here in just a moment, we're going to go into a time of communion where we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross, where we look at his face and we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your body that was broken for me. Thank you for your blood that was spilled for me. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Jesus, I want to surrender to you today. If you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, and you are in a place of desperation and you've been crying out, it's time to cry out in Jesus' name. Because there is power in the name of Jesus to answer that prayer. There's power in the name of Jesus to save you. Yes, even you. There is power in the name of Jesus to have victory over death and sin and divorce and pain and cancer and homelessness and unemployment. There is power in Jesus' name over shootings. There's power over Jesus' name over racism. There is power over Jesus' name to have the victory over all of that. And he's inviting you to come to him to remember what he's done on the cross and to give your life to him. If you're here and and you have been struggling with trying to earn your way to God, you've been fearing man, just surrender those things to God. Submit that to him. Say, God, I'm a beggar in need of you. So before you go to communion, I just encourage you, look at Jesus' face. He's saying, look at me, hear me. I love you and I have forgiven you. It's time to repent and come to me. I am the only way. There is no other way to salvation except through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we go into this time of communion and as we continue to worship you, Lord, I pray that you receive the glory that your name is due, that we would recognize that it is our sin that put the author of life on the cross. Lord, I confess that I need you. I confess that my sin is heavy and that I need you to let me walk in your power and not mine, God. For those that are weary and tired in this place. I pray that you would fill them with strength, that you would heal them just like you healed the beggar, God. Would you allow us to grab your hand and would you pull us up this morning? Lord, I pray that we would recognize that we can celebrate and leap for joy as we worship you. God, I pray for those that don't know you this morning and they're in here struggling with who you are, I pray that you would reveal to them by the power of your name that you are good, that you love them, and that you gave your life for them, God. Would you set them free right now? In Jesus' name, amen.